the first thing that comes to mind within the context of as a psychologist is how in developmental psychology uh, we look at the what, what I'm going to call bonding experience of the newborn with the primary caregivers, whether that's yes. the mother, the father, the grandma, who the I'm going so I'm going to say primary caregiver, right? Yes. To to identify that that's the behavioral role that's critical. Right. And it transcends gender, age, it transcends all the other variables. Exactly. So in that exchange of energy, right, between the newborn and the primary caregiver, yes. um, the, the newborn begins to receive sensory information. Perhaps the first is the gazing into the eyes of the primary caregiver and then there are many you know if the if the infant is nursed there's the experience of you know um, body temperature nourishment milk mother's milk coming into the body so in the there it's very much linked to senses mm -hmm. and then as time goes on psychologists look at what so at an attachment is formed Right, and, and we can postulate, even though the newborn's brain is not really wired to think in more abstract ways, perhaps there's um, a life-affirming awareness that understands there needs to be something here so I can be cared for. Yes, in, in some ways, I think some people um, have talked about it as though we are hardwired to be in relationship. That, right. that perhaps even on a one-to-one -one level, we don't exist outside of relationship. We understand ourselves as humans. It, it requires being reflected, responded to by another to, to even come to grips with, well, I exist, and therefore um, that has consequences. Yes, so, so the, the critical, I think, term there is relation to or relationship right. and how critical that is to the human species. Um, I, I'm not going to postulate, you know, across species, but it's probably true in most species. Yeah. So, so yes, the, this sense of belonging that 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 forms into an an identity is always in relationship to the other. So that relationship then, because the original question was attachment, yeah, that exactly. that relationship of that experience of being in relationship is greatly influenced by those very, very early experiences where our brains are being wired in ways that um, give us some sort of identity. And important to note right now, that identity comes from the other, not from me as an infant or a newborn. Okay, 
soul <clears throat> attachment, right, is an energy, just because everything's an energy. So, and as energies go, there are continuums of basically the energy spectrum, but even within the spectrum, there are continuums within the different kinds of energies. So, attachments can be, uh, it, it, to use your term, the entanglement can have the quality of attachment that is greatly, has a great component of fear in it. If you don't love me, if you don't like me, if I don't please you, something bad will happen. Now, I would say that most of the time, that's in the subconscious. And it's just the kind of immediate sensory input we're feeling in an interaction with that being. And the interaction can be in our minds, you know, imagining what could happen or trying to recall what did happen. But what, I, what you're talking in terms of entanglements, I understand as relationship, which again, def I define myself in relationship, whether it's conscious or not. Relationships that are fraught with a lot of fear energy in them um, end up being very challenging, let's put it that way. I'm trying to stay away from good and bad because energies are energies. It's what we do with them that, that, that has good or bad outcomes, right? So really, really challenging. Um, we talk, and, and, and in psychology, we talk about boundaries, you know? So if everything, our whole identity is tied up in relationship, in, in however we're perceiving ourselves in these different relationships, that the, the idea of being able to take care of ourselves, being able to own enough power to feel that I can make choices that will keep me protected and let me grow, yes. we need to have healthy boundaries. I, another way of saying that is, how much access do I give people in relationship to me, to who I am? How much power do I give them to tell me who I am and to rate me as, and I'll use terms I don't particularly like, as good or bad or helpful or selfish. You know, we have all these terms that have more or less contracted or expansive energy in them. Yes, so, so their psychology has a term separation individuation phase. So we, as a human species, we can talk about a developmental progression through life that we have to, in some ways, separate from this melded identity we have early on with the primary caregiver. So, you know, we hear about the terrible twos, which now my um, child is telling me his daughter, my granddaughter is going through the terrible two plus three, maybe a divorce. <laughs> but you can see she's exercising her will in a way that she's testing the boundaries 
of what can I do and still be loved? What can I do and still be safe? And that happens again in the teenage years, and perhaps it even happens again in adulthood, but maybe we don't identify it in the same way. Because at some point over the trajectory of self-reflection, we begin to understand that, that the primary identity that we formed was given to us by other people and was given to us by people who saw the world in a different way than we saw it because of the rapid advancements in technology and information sharing and figuring out how the, or at least being able to record how the human brain responds in what we call real time. So there's this awareness that can I now begin to try out some other identities that might feel more like me. Am I, do I, that's what a secure attachment is. We measure it in a child who can come into a strange playroom with its mom and then after a moment or so leave the mom and go explore all the toys in the playroom, right? Looking back, seeing mom's there, but being able to play with the toys, right? The secure attachment. Insecure attachment is the child can't even um, examine all these potentially wonderful toys because they're afraid to leave their mother's side, right? And then we have other variations on those two extreme attachments. And, and that kind of sets a template for how we're going to go through life. Yes, yes. And, and, and then at some point we begin, so the separation is I need to, and every parent knows this, I need to push my mom and my dad away and tell them I'm not like them, I'm not like them, I'm not like them. So I can try and figure out, well, who am I like? <laughs> right? Yes, yes. So, so there is a development of an individual identity, uh, which is a neuropsychological phenomena to a large extent. Um, yeah. It's also a function of education. Right, exactly. So that's the nature-nurture phenomena in uh, education, etc. And, and, and what I mean by education is the um, sharing of information about what the hu human potential is. Right, right. Okay, so... so when this type of development is going on, is it possible for children and adolescents to develop certainly an identity, but to develop it in such a way that does not carry the harmful conditioning of past generations? Well. That's a tough one. Well, it's not so tough. It's just a matter of how I want to talk about it. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it might be tough for you, but it's... it's right, 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 right. And I think, I think your question kind of encapsulate where Western science has come in some ways. Now, I'm not a scientist, so I'm talking about this as an outsider, right? Yeah. Um, but this sense of what is epigenetics? Yes. What, what, what is, uh, now that the genome's been explored, right, the human genome, 
what is all of this stuff that they have no idea what these genes are doing, right? They used to call it junk DNA, but I think people are becoming more cautious about that and understanding that there's huge potential there if we understand it. Some of the older traditions, um, I don't know how to say this, um, if you believe in reincarnation, some of the older traditions will just blatantly say this, this DNA that you carry all, carries the wisdom, the learning, the pain of all your lifetimes. And, and by, by extension, in terms of our biology, it's going to contain information from your lineage, your father's lineage and your mother's lineage, because that's where the DNA comes from. Well, I think that perhaps that's the ideal trajectory for the human person. And we may, in fact, at this point in history, be poised on um, an, a very interesting time. You know, when I spent some time in London, I used the underground a lot. It, it was great. It got me everywhere I wanted to go. But at least at that time, they used to have these announcements, you know, that would come out with it, when you were either getting off or getting on one of the, the trains, they would say, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. And finally, somebody told me the gap is that space between the platform and the car itself. Because if your foot goes down there and gets caught, it's very bad. Um, Perhaps that's a good slogan in terms of minding the gap between who we've been conditioned, and I say conditioned by all of the neural networks that were laid down when we were so young, to be, to th how to see ourselves and how we see the world. Exactly. And the gap that we're actually poised to step over is in some ways the energy of belief that we're capable of so much more and that yes. capability lies within us, whether it's capability in genetic material, capability in using the higher order processes of our mind, accessing a supramind as well as a conscious mind and an unconscious mind and a subconscious mind. So the pain body is, is um, a phrase that I think is appropriate and apt. Um, the way I would, the way I do speak of it is that um, every cell in our body is a living part of me as an organism and as a living, because it's living, there's awareness in the cell. So the cell is aware of all of my thoughts, all of my um, emotions, all of my f reactions to my physical pain or expansion. So every experience I have in some way is registered in the cells of my body. And I believe that's what he's referring to in terms of the pain body. So it's there. And, and many people talk about, yeah, you get enough of that in your cells, then you have a disease, a physical disease.
which is what, what even Chetna talks about, uh, how the, the disturbances of the mind uh, are impacting the phys physiology of the body. It's yes, so yes, sure. exactly, exactly. So, so Dr. Chetna comes from medical training, right? I come from psychological yes. training, but as nearly as I can tell, we're saying the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Perhaps the educational system or format that we came to this understanding is a bit different. But it's something like this that, that makes me have faith that this is the truth. You know, when many different people come to the same understanding from different pathways. You know, the old saying, all roads lead to Rome. Yes, right. It's exactly. truth is truth, no matter how it's phrased, right? And there's something about us as humans that if we can reduce the fear factor or the judgment factor around receiving new kinds of information, we recognize truth because it resonates, it resonates within us. So my thoughts are, I'm going to just talk a little bit about relationships right because an attachment is a form of relationship right so when i think about relationship again i go back to energy as the common denominator and everything yeah. um i think about there are three energy fields in every single relationship there's my energy field there's your energy field, and then there's the field of energy of our relationship to each other. Exactly. And to have some very basic understanding of, of the laws of energy, how energy flows and works, um, we come to a recognition that the energy I put into the relationship is from me. The energy you put into the relationship is from you. And the relationship is, and I'm going to use the word toxic here, more or less toxic, right? The relationship now, not me, not you, I'm talking about. The relationship is a function of the kind of energy both of us are putting into the relationship. Exactly. Exactly. And, and perhaps entanglement can be described energetically as, let's just say I'm entangled in a relationship with you. Now, that, cancel that, cancel that. It's not accurate, but, but for yeah. illustrative purposes. Yeah, for illustration. Um, so I'm, when you talk to me and ask me a question, if I... The energy in our relationship is one of, I'm afraid to disappoint you. I'm afraid to give you an answer you might not agree with. Then there's a great deal of fear in our relationship. And it can even go to the point where, let's say, I have a relationship with someone that I'm so afraid of saying something they don't like that, that I'm afraid they might take out a gun and shoot me or they might beat me up, right? That, that is how I would describe, in, well, one, that's one element of an entangled relationship. What keeps us in any variation of that from very little, let's say, entanglement to more intense is the fear that I can't live without you. 
is and right. and that is always a primal fear that's on an unconscious level. We don't always recognize that yes. because it's so basic. It goes right back to the infant who somehow knows that in order to be sheltered and fed and protected, they need to please the caregiver. Exactly. And, and so that's a very well-used neural network that's guided us through life and it's worked up until now because we're here, we're not dead. And, and now there's the question of, if we're even having this conversation, it's because I want to improve the quality of my life. And right. understanding right. who I am and how I am in the world is the tool that I have to use to do that. Yes, I would say that's what people throughout history have been talking about I, I can only address the history, excuse me, the history that I'm aware of, but introspection, psychology, that was psychology's first attempt at becoming a quote unquote science. Let's study how our mind works through introspection, right? Yes. Now, and, 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 and it seems to me that other meditative traditions have said, Yes, that's the goal of meditation, is to still what's often called the monkey mind, the mind that's running a mile a minute, you know, uh, a mile a second, perhaps, with thought, 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 and to be able to recognize that and to find some techniques to actually slow down enough to become more conscious of what's going on inside of us. So, so to become aware, you know, for many people, me included, becoming aware is the first step in, in the work of evolution of consciousness. Right. So this, you have to be exposed to the fact that whatever my common everyday experience of life is not the full potential of human awareness. <laughs> I'm missing out on a lot here. <laughs> yeah, because it's, we're only like in the sliver of existence. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, but until somebody tells me, hey, did you know you have a subconscious, an unconscious, and a conscious, but you also have a superconscious mind, right? Hey, did you know you can begin to look at what's coming through that mind? Hey, did you know you can, with great effort and diligence and dedication, begin to choose the thoughts you're going to entertain? And because our thoughts resonate throughout our entire body, that's going to change our physical health as well as our relationship with others and our relationship to ourselves. But yes. Case, <laughs> well, I've heard it several times recently um, within the context of CDC's mandate that people who are vaccinated can take off their masks, whatever. I don't want to get into that particular yeah. thing, but I've heard the quote. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and expecting a different result. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, the, what, now that that f f phrase is like 
in the common parlance of our culture these days, it occurs to me that there is some evolution in consciousness about, am I doing that? Wow, why am I doing that? Is that true? Is my repeating how I interact with my next door neighbor in the same way every time expecting my neighbor to, I don't know, do something that I want him to do <laughs> that he hasn't done for 10 years, is expecting that, that's a definition of being insane, right? Right, right. Definitely. Definitely. So it reposits my earlier example of three um, categories of energy fields in any relationship. It allows me to revisit if what I put into the relationship may or may not change the other's behavior in the relationship, yes. I can begin to understand that really the locus of my control is within me. Yes, yes. And that relates to the very first things I said about how the neural networks in our brain are laid down Yes. from, well, basically in utero on, but certainly massively from the moment we're born on, and they're a yes. function of our environment. Yes. How, and, and there, it's like I was born with a contact lens, right? And I didn't know it. So I think the world is kind of on this blue spectrum. And right. then for some reason now in my life, I get a head injury and they look and they say, oh my God, you've got this blue contact lens in your eyes and they take it out and it, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I thought I knew what the world was. I thought I knew who I am. Yes. It's exactly. a whole new game here, right? So exactly. the neuroplasticity is the awakening of our consciousness to the fact that I can make a difference in one understanding who I am, making yes. a choice of what I want to keep and what I want to change. Oh, and so that's a big point right there. What I want to keep, what I want to change. I, I mean, that itself is huge. Yeah. To even give ourselves permission to think, I, no matter how old I am, I can change myself and my relationship, I'm just going to say the world, and that includes yes. all the relationships I have, right? Yes. In this human body. So, I, I mean, what, what, what kind of a gift is that to be allowed to even yes. contemplate that? Because up until the point where, where those stop being words and start being a potential for me and my own life, Yes, yes, um, I, I'm locked, right? I'm locked into the old notion, the Freudian notion that who you are by seven years old is who you're going to be till the day you die. There's very little you can do to change any of that. That was a lie. Well, I don't know, purpose lie, it was a definite misunderstanding of human potential. <laughs> yes, that's the choice. I mean, if I, I can choose to not be... Um, subservient to everybody I see as an authority figure, right? right? But unless I challenge myself 
to explore what that might look like and what that might feel like. How can I form a new neural network that's going to affect the changes that allow me to stop being subservient out of fear to all authority figures? Right. Right? Sure. And, and I, what I want to say right here is, for me, this is the point where I have to say, I don't know how to do this outside of community. So the, 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 the immense potential of being a part of Angel Wing in whatever role we pay, whether it's the role of showing up to hear other people talk, whether it's the role of adding my own voice to the discussion, it doesn't matter that this, this exposure to different ways of thinking and being allow me to start exploring the potential of my mind to imagine myself as differently. What? Yeah, I think it, after being alive and having a functioning brain, I think yes. it's the first step. It's the first step. Yes. Uh, yes. But, but, but most of humanity doesn't seem to be in that step. Well, I think that <clears throat> part of what's going on with this and, and I, I believe there's a shift in consciousness um, yeah. in humanity. I see things happening in my, our, our country that we're living in yeah. that we hoped would happen in the 1960s when we were demonstrating and doing whatever, but they didn't happen. I see that there's a potential now for that evolution in consciousness to yes. take hold perhaps in government and education and healthcare. Exactly. Um, I think that one of the basic, basic foundational thoughts to be able to contemplate is when I find myself, when I see myself in ways that I don't like or I don't care for, if I can avoid beating myself up for being here, if I can stop blaming myself or my environment, and simply look at the energy and sit with the energy that is so terrifying on some level because exactly. I haven't looked at it before. Right. And we always fill, when we really don't know something, we always exactly. fill in the blank with the worst possible scenario. Yes, exactly, exactly. And that, that in itself is to be kind to ourselves to understand that we've done a, an enormous amount of work to end up even listening to a conversation like this. Um, perhaps I can speak about authority. I see the energy of authority as coming in two general ways. One is conferred authority, the other is earned authority. So I would say conferred and what made me think of it was getting the stamp on my forehead that I'd passed the angel wing, whatever, right? Yeah. That we're, what we're not doing, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, somebody passes a test to become a policeman and they're given a badge and a gun. A lot of authority is conferred on them by that. Exactly. And so we deal with a lot of authority figures in our lives where authority has been conferred. Then there are people who we have learned to listen to and engage with, 
because our experience of them and with them has been rich and enriching. So they've earned the right to be an authority in some ways, in some areas. We will allow them to talk to us about something because they aren't going to force us to believe them. They aren't going to punish us if we don't do what they're telling us to do. We feel safe enough to listen. So this notion of we have the power to confer authority on the people around us. And perhaps the entanglement, the, the attachments that tend to hurt us or, or stunt our growth emotionally are coming out of, for some reason, we got involved with this person and because of how they show up in our life, they had this conferred authority on them. They didn't earn our trust. We gave it our trust to them out of fear. Exactly. And to be able to look at that and then come back to, okay, the energy and energy that I'm putting in this relationship is fear. Exactly. I can change that, right? I may not be able to change how they interact with me, but I can stop, or at least I can start recognizing the fear in the relationship and make some deep inquiry about what can I change about the relationship that feels safe enough. And maybe, maybe it's baby steps. Maybe it's one giant step in saying, this is over, I'm moving on. You know, but, but to give ourselves the authority to direct how the relationship is going to go. Yes, that's a very good summary. And, and I would offer that a critical part of this work in my experience has been to examine in detail, fearlessly, my relationship to myself. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, so, at, right. so, so, and in that process, I, I've often become aware of that the self that I have a relationship with is not the me that I feel that I am, it's the right. me I who I was told I was. Yes, yes. And yes, so yes. the miracle of neuroplasticity is just because for many years, do you know what I mean? I internalized right. that I'm the whatever, I'm the problem solver in my family, I'm the this or I'm the that, doesn't mean that that's who I really am or who I need to continue to be. I have the choice to confer the authority on myself to say, it's time to change. And I'm powerful and I, I, I work for good, the good for myself as well as others. And I can do this. I am doing this simply by listening to this conversation that we're having. That's a step towards being a mirror being shown to me that I have power that I'm not even using. Yes, I would just offer a suggestion. Um, if you haven't tried journaling, 
I encourage you to just get a little notebook and a pen or pencil, whatever, and perhaps set yourself a task and say, five minutes for the next week, I'm going to write whatever comes to my mind, because there's no right or wrong, good or bad about this, in answer to the question, who am I? And just write anything that comes out for five minutes. I, I mean, think about it and then write what comes up. And then tomorrow, think about it and write what comes up. And, and at the end of the week, look and see what's evolved for me in terms yes. of asking myself that question. Exactly, exactly. So if, if a person does that, then they become a reflector of just what's within them. Yes. And how often do we give ourselves permission to take our senses and our thoughts internally as opposed to externally? The news is telling me what's going on in the world and how I should feel about it. You know, it, we're sensual beings and so our senses take us outward. But there are many traditions that say, the process of growth, human growth, consciousness growth, perhaps reaching enlightenment of what the true potential of the human species is, is one of looking within, of allowing the senses to be turned internally. So instead of my ear listening to what, you know, the newscaster is saying in these five minutes, my ear is listening to my thoughts about who am I? And I'm using my brain and my hand to write that down because it really changes how I understand what I'm thinking yes, by yes, writing it down. That's my, not that I'm a slave to, journalism, to journaling, but using your hand and your eyes engages more of your brain than just thinking a thought. Yes. Writing is a whole brain activity, particularly hand, uh, handwriting it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that becomes a very personal conversation with oneself also. Yeah, and, and wow, maybe the best person that I'll ever meet on this planet is me. Wouldn't it be a shame if I lived <laughs> and died and never met me? Exactly, exactly. Uh, because we're always running away, running in something, or running towards something, or reacting to something. But just the, just the time to just be with oneself, which may be very uncomfortable in the beginning for many people. They just haven't done that. Right. I would say if, if you do what, what, what we are suggesting to spend yeah. five minutes a day for a week and just see what happens, yeah. that frequently, and it was certainly true for me when I started this work, um, it was like, Oh my God, my mind is insane. I, 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 who knew that it could generate so many thoughts in such a short period of time and such nonsense thinking? Oh my God, I, this is terrible. I don't want to know this about myself. Yeah. But with practice, what did they say? You know, to become a tennis champion, you have to have so many thousands and thousands of hours of practicing hitting a tennis ball with a tennis racket. So if we want to have mastery over our own minds so that the mind isn't the master, 
but a tool that our consciousness can use, yeah. then we have to put some time in. Exactly. And to recognize that that's what it is. It's a tool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the master. Be right. Because a lot, I think, of what happens when you begin this work in earnest is you start to recognize your internal critic and how absolutely inhumane and cruel our internal critics are. We say inside of ourselves, mostly subconsciously, the most horrendous things to ourselves. We probably would never speak them out loud to other people. Do, do you know to tell, to say, oh, you are just a total failure. Nothing you can do in life is right, right? We, we typically don't say that to people, but our minds got some kind of variation of that, that they're, it's running by us all the time. Sachin, may I say one thing? Please, yes. So uh, in conclusion right now, I would just like to offer you that anything you see in me or Dr. Chetna or Sachin, understand that that potential lies within yourself because you could not recognize it in someone else if it wasn't within you. So allow yourself to have faith in you. Beautiful. That's a very uh, extraordinary sentiment and very great teaching. So uh, thank you very much for, for, for all the time you spent, and uh, we will see you next time. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's stop this here.